Hi, I'm Sanjay Parekh, and I'm the host of the Business of Meaning podcast. I'm here with Daniel Rajkumar from Rebuilding Society, and we're here today to talk about his business. Over to you, Daniel. Yeah, absolutely, Sanjay. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity today. Um, I founded Rebuilding Society really out of frustration for lack of access to finance in running a business, web translations, previously. I've always been in the web industry since graduating from Leeds University in, in 2002 and I've always been focused on e-commerce and online business models that have helped to be reinvented and become more competitive as um, internet technologies have enabled business new models and new, new ways of doing business. And finance has been one of those industries that's been quite slow to, to innovate and to be adopted. But as people have become more confident with online finance and mobile banking and mobile transacting, then it's become much more part of everyday culture and, 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 and business. We focus on helping businesses raise finance from a crowd of investors so they can manage their own crowdfunding uh, portfolio, they can invite whomever they want to participate on their loan syndicate and we don't take a margin on the loan so we think that's really important that 100% of the interest that's paid by the business is received by the lenders supporting that business be they stakeholders in the business, employees, directors or people in the local community. Rebuilding Society is very much focused on bringing together common interests and supporting local businesses uh, and bringing them together online in a way that helps them uh, everyone get a better deal. That's that's re- really interesting model Daniel. Um, it'd be great to understand a little bit more about the values behind the business. Yeah absolutely so uh, rebuilding society is a kind of an extension from the the old ethos of, of building societies whereby people used to support projects, normally construction and, and, and property, in their local community. And you know, building societies have a long history of uh, traditional finance that's intended to support community projects and, and, um, and various different initiatives. Rebuilding society is very much about bringing that online and not just applying it to construction or, or, or development, but also to, to businesses and SMEs. We, we're not specifically geographically focused, we're based in the UK and we have a, an agenda to promote businesses in, in various different regions but also in different industry sectors so uh, it doesn't really matter too much what sector the business is from so long as they are, people are willing to support that you know, and there's a, an ethos of transparency, there is a strong value judgment in um, being actively engaged and involved in those investment decisions. Uh, we are less focused for on passive investors. We really want people to be have a, a sense of activism and purpose for their funding uh, and where that gets employed. Um, it's not quite in, in, in the same vein as a lot of impact investing or, or you know ethical investing, but it appeals to ethically minded investing. And uh, and people who want to um, make a difference with their funding. So something I saw on your website when I was uh, doing a bit of background research was that you look to have people that lend money that are interested in uh, being involved in the business. Yeah, um, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about uh, you know, how how people involve and how, how people yeah help these businesses. absolutely. So small businesses are. An important part of our economy. They make up a huge proportion of our, our workforce in, in the UK, and they really any any support that they can get essentially is really really welcome because they are also very vulnerable. So we Im- invite the lenders to participate in in either becoming patrons, just having an awareness of that business, what it does making introductions, but also if they can familiarize themselves with the demand chain for that business, who it is it that that business sells to, and you know who does the business's customer then sell to, it's a B2B proposition. Um, or you know, get, getting, getting lenders to think about changing their consumption habits that might be 
in the beneficial interest of, of the business that they're trying to support as well. You know, if this business supplies Sainsbury's, uh, then will I, am I more prepared to travel the extra mile to shop from Sainsbury's to get the product of this business I'm supporting instead of doing my, my shopping at, you know, at Tesco's or, or Morrison's or whatever. And that's a, a large part of helping connect up the um, demand chain that the, the businesses work with to the consumption habits that we have and um, and, and the, the benefits that can come from doing so. So it sounds like the investors are taking much more of an interest in, in, in their uh, investments. How do you see this contrasting with how most people invest today? A lot of people are still quite shy and, and, and passive when it comes to investing. We, you know, when it, when you're buying or, or consuming a product online, people will do a lot of research. They'll find, they'll do price comparisons. They'll look at the background of the company. You know, we spend a lot of time researching when we're going to go away on holiday, looking, reading TripAdvisor reviews. When it comes to investing, actually, a lot of people are nervous in exercising their own judgment. You know, it used to be that we needed a bank because we needed an entity that we could trust with our fund and they knew who to trust because they had the information about the different businesses that were raising finance with them. But today we have a lot more information available that's accessible by different financial intermediaries. So it's now possible for most financial intermediaries to use a credit ratings agency to use financial information from a business, perform a credit risk review of that business and relay the key information that people can make a decision about whether or not they want to lend to. And this is something that by just doing a little bit of research and background understanding can make a significant difference between the 4% that they might earn on a platform that takes a significant margin on the loan or the 14% that the business is actually paying that could be relayed and received directly onto them were they to lend directly to that business. So the there's this, people still don't realize just how much margin the banks and many financial intermediaries are taking. You know, with with low base rates, it's a opportunity for them to skim the market and to, to cream the the fees that they're um, and the high margins because for a lot of businesses, actually, they don't have access to those low levels. You know, you can't apply as a business to the Bank of England and you and get a loan from them directly. They work with um, the, the financial services sector. Much of that is subsidised with uh, very low cost credit. Uh, but actually, at the same time, there's a, a bit of a a miscalibration of some of the risk because a lot of the financial backing of those institutions or you know, the funds that deposit holders put with those entities, they don't relay the transparency. The, the risk and the information is not aligned with the individual retail investors. Direct lending does away with that. It passes on 100% of the margin and it aligns the risk and the reward with with the individual taking that risk. So it, it, it's, uh, it's hugely beneficial, it's um, much more sustainable in the medium to longer term because you don't have these massive um, trust issues that come about in, in cyclical changes. There's, no, there's never going to be a need for a peer-to-peer -peer platform to ask for a bailout from, from the regulator or, or the bank because essentially you've got uh, the risk profile and risk appetite of lots of individuals lending to lots of different businesses. So it's it's healthy for the wider economy, it's better for businesses, and it's better for the lenders on the platform too. So that sounds like, it almost sounds like everybody should be doing this, and I guess one of my natural scepticisms is around uh, the risk-reward mm. um, trade-off. Talk about high mar the high margin that the traditional lenders take. How do you then manage the, or how do you expose the risk profile to that investor? Because one of the benefits of using an intermediary is that they will manage the risk for you and, and do that analysis. Uh, you talked a little bit about transparency. It'd be great to understand 
how, yeah. how people would assess the risk. Yeah, there's a you know, there's a great book, um, Other People's Money. Uh, it's written by John Kay, actually. Yeah, I recommend to, to go and get, get a copy of it or get the audio book of it. Um, talks a bit about how, you know, when you're investing someone else's funds, you are incremental about the risk that you're taking and where you're trying to find the, the reward and, and the margin. And how you balance the conflict, you know, competing interests of the margin that you take versus the margin that you pass on to the investor whose money it actually is. Our view is that, yes, absolutely, there, there used to be a role and a need for intermediaries and advisors and risk analysts to be able to um, work with a lot of the data and information that wasn't available um, or that was quite complicated to, to be able to crunch and analyze. However, today we've got a lot of learning algorithms, we've got a lot more data, we've got um, a lot more history and, and a lot better access to the information that's available, not just that has happened historically, but that happens in real time. So a lot of businesses are using digital online systems that track performance on a daily basis. This allows you to keep your finger on the pulse of the health of a business to really understand um, how it's performing day by day by day. So one of the criticisms that we have about the way much of the traditional financial sector works is that actually a lot of the economies of scale and, and efficiencies that they've been able to gain and realize haven't been passed on to the, to the end investor right. who is essentially has never taken the time to understand what tools and resources are available to them to improve the the returns that they're able to get but also there are um there's an amount of lender education so you know there's a real lack of financial training and education in our um national curriculum when it comes to financial services there and, and it, we we really need to kind of start with some of the basics we we still see people who will um, join the platform, lend at high interest rates, really enjoy the honeymoon period whilst they're investing and lending with us. But actually, when the when the first default comes along, they um, it, 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 it's a bit of a source of anxiety to them. You know, for some people, it reminds them of a time when they lent money to someone and they they didn't get it back, maybe informally, yeah. or it's um, you know that it, it might. Uh, impede their self-belief in their judgment to make lending decisions. You know, oh, you know, I picked a business that then went and defaulted. Therefore, you know, I can't uh, let you know direct lending isn't something I can do. But actually, the truth is that across the the loan book, certainly on Rebuilding Society, we've consistently generated a, a healthy net return. I think the, the last independently verified statistic was 6.5% across the history of our six-year history of lending. Um, and so that, but there's actually quite a broad normal distribution of returns that our lender base is getting. So we have a number of lenders who are consistently getting above 20% returns because they're compounding, they are um, selling a um, premium to new lenders that, that come in that are wanting to deploy large sums and not have to wait for um, each new loan to come onto the platform. Right. And and so there's there are a number of things that lenders can learn to do that will help to improve their, their net return. Some of the things that hurt the net return is uh, cash drag. So whilst ever your money is not employed in a business, it's earning you 0%. That's factored into our model. Right. And, and of course, if uh, you've got a particularly high-risk appetite, you've been lending to businesses where other lenders are discounting their position on the loan because they've read a bit about the performance of that business or they have seen that the business has missed a repayment and therefore they are um, wanting to divest from that loan, that's does represent a, a, an extra high risk that lenders need to read or, or, or just be slightly more aware of. And for those lenders who are taking the time to do a bit of research and understand, read the blog posts, get the information, they are generating, uh, they're able to create a, 
a, a, essentially a job for themselves, just managing their investments with a couple of hours each week, checking in, reading what's been updated, reading about a bit about the new businesses that are on there. To give you an example, one of our most prolific lenders has over 700,000 invested and has consistently for the last three years achieved over 100,000 in interest from the returns that they've been able to generate. So we have a, a, a good example of lenders that are able to create um, essentially to an income for themselves, just managing their savings on an ongoing basis. So that really does sound quite amazing that that level of return can be achieved. Um, what What's the typical... Uh, most people won't have £700,000 to invest though, uh, or to loan. What What's the typical size of uh, an investment and what's the typical amount that people generally put on your platform? Um, there is... The average is around £5,000 per lender and the average loan size is uh, £72,000. Right. So uh, each loan would be made up of normally between 150 and up to 550 lenders on it, depending on the size of the loan. Um, we don't try to be exclusive in any way, so First-time peer-to-peer lenders are welcome to the platform. There's quite a lot of information that's accessible to them. Yes, they do need to... Um, we're a little bit more manual than some other platforms, which means selecting the businesses that, that you like the look of and reading a bit about them and understanding them. But in so doing, there are certain other perks and benefits. So we've got um, you know, this banana flower business at the moment who uh, specialise in making this gluten-free uh, product, green banana flower. It's actually tipped to be one of the kind of major crops of the of the next decade. Um, and they've... It turns out that there are only like two crops of, of banana that we actually eat, of yellow banana. Uh, there are a lot of green banana crops that are essentially a, you know, a waste product. And that's because supermarkets just want to buy yellow bananas. So. Well, yeah, and and the the green bananas are not um, perceived to be suitable for for human consumption as as right. they are. They're like, um, but this company has found a way of essentially boiling them, slicing them, peeling them, and and drying them to create uh, you know, milling them to create this flour. And this product, this flour, is gluten free. It's uh, able. And, and, and the, the company in, is actually based out of Indonesia, where they've got access to plenty of green bananas, so they're able to make this flour. It turns out that it's tricky to bake with, so they've really, understanding that they want to create a, a strong and healthy global business, they needed to research good recipes that would, that would work, generate really good consumer products. So they spent, they've actually spent four years doing a lot of R&D to get these various baked goods that, that, that taste really good. Um, so they've got recipe for bread, um, pancake mix, they've got um, banana cakes, croissants, and they've been making premixes. These premixes are now being manufactured in Singapore, and they're ready to start global distribution. So they're wanting to start a UK distributor who will buy the premixes, sell them on to food manufacturers and to uh, uh, you know, direct to cafes uh, and online direct to consumers as well. Um, so, so this is a, a nice example of a business that has a good impact ethos. It's a healthy product, healthy food. It's in a new and emerging market, and you know a lot of the people. Who, it's giving employment to people in remote places of the world that would otherwise be you know, potentially employed by. Um, Companies who are, you know, looking to deforest parts of Indonesia. This actually supports, um, you know, the growth of, of bananas, which are essentially a high up. They can get harvested once a year, and um, uh, and yeah, it, 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 it's a, it's a nice story, and lenders can can really get behind the agenda for you know helping the planet, helping people eat healthily. Um, and introducing a new product, which is, is really good and, and really tasty. 
I mean, that sounds like a fantastic business and, and the environmental goals and the fact that they are reusing a product that would mm. normally be thrown away sounds, sounds amazing. So um, how would a company like this have gained finance if it wasn't for a platform like, like yours? With difficulty. I mean, essentially, they... Uh, well, friends and family are, are normally the first backers of uh, businesses and that these guys have had over a million pounds worth of... Uh, equity investment put into them, but that's you know the Indonesia cafe and um, and, and bakery, um, and they've got the premixes going. But they, as with a lot of businesses, as as they grow and try to scale and expand globally, they face different challenges. The the need to employ capital continues to grow and evolve, and they just need to be able to um, communicate uh, their their. their agenda to the right audience of people that support them. Um, historically, that's been incredibly difficult to do. And I think a lot of businesses, uh, you know, spend a lot of time trying to do the fundraising, you know, trying to actually get the, the support, um, be it through uh, traditional finance routes or, or trying to uh, cooperate with different investors and shareholders. So, I mean, it's not just with the, the lending market. Crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding is, is, is great for helping to get different initiatives and ideas supported. You know, it brings people together on a common um, template-led investment structure, you know, investment format. So you know, you're not having to bring together you know, six to eight different people and you know, have different conversations with each of them, each investor wanting slightly different terms. One investor saying, oh, look, if I offer you more than 50% of the funds, can I have these preferential terms? It's just running a business and, and trying to constantly arrange finance for it is actually really time-consuming and can be quite draining. Um, it's also quite an inefficient allocation of resources because the location that a business is based in might be suitable for the business, but it might not actually be suitable for fundraising. And so... You know, London's great for, for raising finance, but it's actually one of the highest cost places to run a business. So you're going to have more funding, but a shorter runway. So actually, it, the doing this online that makes it accessible to people, you know, sitting at home on the iPad, just doing a bit of research in, into where their money can go into the productive economy. Something that's um, you know, dear to my heart, something I'm very passionate about. So you, you talked about your platform and, and we talked about the, um, this Indonesian business, which, which again sounds a fantastic business. It would be really good to understand a couple of things. Firstly, what you do on your platform that would facilitate uh, an investment. So you talked a lot about transparency and mm. providing information uh, and you mentioned a little bit about the updates. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, new investors looking at this, uh, you pique their interest, they want to... Uh, be a bit more involved in the business. They yeah. want to find businesses that have a bit of a, you know, social purpose, or or and uh, and also your name, rebuilding society, suggests that that's you know you're trying to do something more than just facilitate lending. Yeah. What what type of information would they typically see then on on the platform? So they log in and they get, as well as the information about peer to peer lending and and how it's different to you know, other things that they might have other peer-to-peer -peer platforms or other forms of investment, just things that they should be aware of. There's also profiles of each of the businesses that, that, that showcase that business. There's information about what they're going to use the funding for. There's information about um, you know, updates that can be posted by the entrepreneur themselves. So there's a, a forum where the entrepreneur can communicate with their, their lenders. Um, that tends to be used... Um, it, it, for, for some entrepreneurs, they will want the support of a commercial finance broker so they might have somebody helping them to, to manage that or it might be managed by the finance director of a company uh, so there's there's the profile there normally that's decorated with a number of images or a little video about the business links to go and read um, uh, you know, about the background info to that business are, are available as well so we try to bring together this crowdfunding page that makes it easy for people to pledge their funds uh, as a bit of a holding page that with files that they can download uh, that can include the profit and loss statement. It can include the um, you know the filed accounts of that business, the management accounts that they've 
kind of traded with throughout the year. Um, but also it, there's the opportunity for the business to upload whatever other material it, it, it's happy to share with its with right. its customer base. Some businesses will go a step further. They'll offer a, a code, a promotion code, so that lenders have an incentive to support them. Uh, and, and that works very well for e-commerce businesses where there, there's some online ordering facility that's available. Um, some some businesses will offer a referral code where it's not a discount but it's a commission so that any lenders who help to find potential customers um, you know can earn a small commission payment um, so we 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 understand that you know active investing is is a bit of a, a spectrum you know wh which includes some lenders who are more passive, you know, they might want to set up their, their lending preferences and they'll just check in periodically, just have a, a read a bit about each of the businesses. Um, but we really want to invite people to uh, learn about the companies that they're supporting and be you know, interactive with those businesses because it does, it, it does help. Uh, we ourselves are taking more steps to support those businesses, so we want to make our credit control resource available to those businesses. There's, there are so many businesses who, um, you know, when they've finished the project for a client, they'll send an invoice to finance, but actually it will get lost in an inbox and not get paid and the business doesn't actually chase it until maybe two or three or up to six weeks after it should have been paid to then find out that it, oh, it was completely missed and wasn't scheduled for payment so they can expect it in four weeks time with the next pay run. Right, right. Uh, so that, that's a really interesting uh, angle to to your model. So you're hmm. more than just facilitating the loan, you actually look to support the business post loan with what's crucial is cash flow management then. Well, the, yeah, this is a service that we're designing at the moment. So we're working with some businesses to to roll this out with, um, you know, with much bigger vision in in 2019. So we've we've noticed that a lot of businesses will have um, debtor days that increase after they've taken a loan. And what we've noticed is that actually a lot of that comes down to the business doing less, being less disciplined about its credit control when there's no real reason to um, not do credit control. It's just, I think a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs just don't like doing it, so they mm. only end up doing it when they, when they really have to. But actually, if they're on top of it and managing it, then it, it, it can be a, a lot easier. So you know, some of our clients will have turned to invoice finance or factoring because, well, they it's just one less thing to think about but actually it's very expensive you know two percent or three percent a month very very quickly adds up so what what we're trying to do is essentially just provide a very simple service that follows up and checks if a client has an invoice and if it's in the account system and if they're happy with the product or the service or if there's any anything that 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 the company should be aware of um you know it's a simple call that is done on behalf of the business, representing the business, and if there's any feedback, that goes directly to, to the business to, to work with. But what we're doing is just checking that that invoice is with the right per in the account system of the client and scheduled for payment. Um, and I guess ultimately, as you as you work with these companies, that reduces the probability of, of a bad debt occurring. Absolutely, yeah. So, so it's, it helps. It helps you. It helps the lenders. Yeah, and it obviously helps the companies. It, it does. When Carillion failed, the supply chain was horrendously disrupted, and it was a lot of small businesses that failed. It was a lot of uh, independent freelancers that that didn't get paid. And a large part of the reason for that is, well, they were last in line because they were applying the least pressure to get paid. It's not just the the kind of courteous following up of the invoices, but it's also understanding the will pay, or the won't pay clients from the can't pay clients. You know, if, right. if, a, if a client is coming into financial difficulty, well, you know, why is that? Is it seasonal business? Are they struggling? Is there a need for them to have some finance? Or, um, you know, and is, is the business okay about making a concession for extended credit terms? And what, what impact does that have on on, on the business that's borrowed from us and our lenders. Um, sometimes there are won't pay clients. They 
essentially have a culture where until an invoice gets chased they'll just sit on it those we we want to try and deal with that promptly that 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 culture we want to try and um you know, reduce the impact that can have on some of our business borrowers but also you know if a won't pay client is being particularly difficult well our business has a an enforcement department right we have to enforce on these loans where we take security against businesses we can extend that department to our borrower base to help them recover some of the debt that's owed to them and quite often it's an expensive process right there, there can be a number of legal fees involved there can be um, you know small co- claims court it, it is more efficient but it, it does still come at a cost and it's a bit of a- effort to prepare the documentation for it if we can do some of that administration on behalf of the businesses that are using us then it's another layer of protection it's another service another ser- another service we want to start offering our businesses in 2019 is key man insurance so you know people it's it really um, breaks my heart when we have to enforce a personal guarantee against a, a small business owner because they've had health issues and struggled to repay a debt on a loan no, nobody you know wants to um, default on a loan and, and their health is is a key part to quite often these individuals or or, or couples or or, um, family run businesses and we we have had examples where those entrepreneurs have had insurance uh, they've paid out on on our loan to keep them protected and that's worked very well but we have also had instances where we'd wish that they'd had insurance and actually it's been very difficult and we're really hoping that their health recovers because we've now got to 90 days past due and whilst the entrepreneur might have the best intentions of, of, of wanting to, to pay the debt and turn their business around until they get back into it and, and really are uh, healthy and productive again, that's not possible for them. So we you know, we want to partner up with an insurance company that can provide a um, some, some kind of protection for these particularly vulnerable businesses. That, that, all, all those initiatives sound great, and it sounds like your service is much more than just just uh, putting uh, lenders and borrowers together. Um, uh, what I think we haven't really explored, and it'd be really good to understand, is how you select businesses. Um, mm. Clearly, this isn't a service that's available to everyone, and uh, certainly as a, a lender, uh, I'd be keen to understand, if I was to put my money yep. on the platform, what sort of due diligence has happened prior to them arriving on the platform? Absolutely. So the, the credit risk analysis that businesses go through is, is really comprehensive. So we, they're required to give us their filed accounts and their management accounts or some evidence of their current level of trading. That can be in the form of VAT returns and also um, we always ask for the bank statements as well. We're checking for things like uh, existing borrowings and you know the the extent to which a business has been loan stacking, like borrowing from lots of different institutions. There are a lot of different short-term credit facility providers out there now, and we uh, some of them are more predatory than others. Some of them are more um, expensive than others. We we also look for the affordability. So the profit a business takes each month is a really important factor in understanding the extent to which it can service the debt on a loan. And we want um, our motto is to support growing businesses and to fund working capital where there's strong evidence of a business moving in the right direction and they need that capital to fund new stock or new staff to fulfill a contract. Where it's evidently funding losses or they've failed to um, continue trading at a certain level but they haven't actually cut into the business. We, we have a responsibility to really understand and help the entrepreneur understand what makes them an, un, an attractive credit risk decision. So we always try to give these businesses feedback about where it is that they've got to with um, their business, the risks that are inherent in their model and things that we've observed in their, in their accounts and the way they've been transacting or, or conducting the business. Quite often these small businesses, the finances of the 
business are linked to the finances of the individuals behind it. So we, we do also check the credit rating of the directors of the individuals behind the business. We want to understand the extent to which they are individually uh, indebted or, or committed elsewhere. And it helps to build up a, a picture. Quite often in the process of analysing a business, we'll find a connected business or um, you know some project that is ancillary to the business and we then try to understand okay do we need to look at this business in more of a group like structure is you know are we being presented with the most credit worthy part of the business but actually the funds are going to be used for for a different side to the business that that we have yet to ask questions and find out more about uh, credit ratings agencies have become better with their credit scoring models so they help to provide us insight on the performance of a business in the context of it meeting you know its payments to its creditors and we're always looking at the the key ratios in a balance sheet we, we want to know the, the current ratio we want to know the liquidity ratios and understand okay is this business healthy and able to service the debt and essentially whilst it's different for different industries we get a understanding of what represents one um, credit-worthy business over another and it's a spectrum it's a scale it's a scored scale and we on on that comparative basis represent the information to our our lender base um, and we we do that through a risk rating of classifying the business as being a, an A plus an A, a B or a C rated business or in, in the case of an absolute startup where there's very little information to go on um, we are now doing some uh, testing to see if it's feasible for us to introduce uh, unrated businesses. So the, the classification would be a U uh, with a view to, uh, you know, this would only applies where it's supported by a business that has been trading, but they're looking to enter into the UK and to, to, or, or to start a new entity that is going to grow quite quickly, backed by people with an interest in the business, um, with skin in the game, with a track record and a good product where they can quite quickly build up a, a trading record that uh, allows them to refinance again uh, in a couple of years time. So the the analysis that we go through, um, we have a, a credit review committee. They will uh, take study this information. It's not entirely automated. There's a lot that is in, the, in our model. But there's, we uh, as a committee will also receive all this information, uh, study it thoroughly and really look for signs of um, inconsistencies and distrust or dishonesty that we perceive are um, potentially impactful on the business's uh, intent or ability to repay the, the loan that it's looking to take. It sounds really comprehensive, and I think um, from what you said there, there's your, the key thing that you're after is transparency from the business owner and the entrepreneur, so you can make a, a really good assessment. I think where crowdfunding in general has probably suffered is, and I think you addressed this quite well, in that you rate the different businesses with the different risk profiles. I think if you look at crowdfunding in general, it's quite hard to know what risk mm. you're taking on without that deep analysis um, and I think yeah. using the scale sure. of ABC is a, a simple one but, but it really rams home the point of where the risk lies and then allows you as a lender I guess to make an informed decision. So so, so uh, what's the percentage of businesses that you reject? Um, oh yeah so um, it's about 90% odd. Right okay. Yeah. Right, right. Um, the, it's over 90% the yeah. applicants that we receive to those that actually get funded um, it, whilst I'd like it to be higher, the truth is there are a lot of businesses who are looking for credit um, and then are, are in a difficult place because they've taken too much credit or they've taken too much risk and they, they've gotten to a place where um, servicing the extent of uh, indebtedness that they have is, is going to be really very, very difficult for them. Um, and it's become very easy to apply online for finance, yeah. making 
a lot of uh, meaning that a lot of businesses will search for uh, you know, online places that will provide quick credit decisions and so you know whilst we want to be 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 open and embracing and supportive to a lot of businesses we absolutely have to provide a layer of protection to our our customers our lender base and our track record is evidence that we've been able to do that with a, a good degree of success uh, compared to much of the rest of the industry. Um, and I think to the, the business owners, I mean, there's responsible lending and there's irresponsible lending. And yeah. the last thing you want to do is lend someone money when the, when the business necess- won't necessarily be able to repay that. And yeah. then the business gets into more trouble uh, yep. Absolutely. because of that. So um, I'd like to cover now why why you pick this name rebuild society so it's obviously yeah. um, you know that's a very deliberate uh, name you pick there and it, and it and it's um it suggests that you are, have got some uh, a, a mission that's greater than just mm. putting lenders and borrowers together yeah absolutely well um i wanted to i mean there's a couple of stories behind the name for rebuilding society so in the, in the in the very beginning, we were called something different. We were called Amuri Limited. Amuri being one of these names that means nothing and um, you know is quite quite just it's short and easy and works in the whole dot com model. Um, but we, in having the conversation about our, our mission, our purpose, and our values, and how we wanted to set out the business, we felt actually we wanted to have an identity that had a purpose inherent in that identity and rebuilding society was um, not an easy name to get because someone was uh, cyber squatting on the on the domain so I had to pay a premium to acquire that and um, and we we meant a bit of a rebrand internally but we persisted with it we we really wanted it to be our um, to lead at the front with our vision and our ethos for the for the business, and I'm glad that we did because people people get it. And we refer to our community as rebuilders. You know, when we hold an event and we talk to our audience, we have this idea that our how money works in our economy is uh, integral to how society functions, and there, there's a lot more that we can do. The people don't realise that actually um, the cost of, of, of finance is factored into everything that we buy. And when there are a lot of institutions and a lot of inefficiencies in our economy that are profiting from that, it, it actually makes us less competitive globally. When it, our ethos to disintermediate that means that, well, we're essentially substituting a large part of that finance cost uh, and, and trying to align it with people that are more closely connected to, to, the, to the business, right? So that it doesn't make sense for an employee in a business to be earning 1.2% on their cash ISA in a, in a savings account when they're working in a business that is borrowing at 18%. Right, because their employment depends on the health of that business, so they they are, in a way, taking the risk of l- investing in that business by virtue of the fact that they're employed with that business, right? Yeah. So, if that business opened up its funding requirement to an uh, an audience that was more closely aligned with the stakeholders of that business, then there are a lot of positive externalities to to be gained from that. The employee can have. Um, a better return they can have uh, you know they might not want to lend all their life savings but the income that they're earning from that business well they might be prepared to lend that to the business for whatever it can see that the business is going to perform and that you can repay the debt so a large part of our um, vision is to try and better align risk and reward with um, with the the people who have the money and the people who are actually employing that capital in the economy. 
And I think also, from what you said there, that whole connection, the connection between um, your money and the business that you're lending to is sort of critical in rebuilding society rather than yeah. being detached and using money, like you say, just hand it over to somebody else and they deal with it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're building that connection with these businesses and, and essentially building a society um, rather than keeping everybody separate in their, in their little pockets. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so Danny, what's, what's next then for, for Rebuilding Society? Well, uh, we've got a long way to go. There's still a lot to, to rebuild. Um, so we, we're wanting to bring these borrower services. So you know, we, we, another kind of key component that we're introducing to help the businesses is actually the concept, really, really simple idea, of having a business lending account. So quite often businesses will have fluctuating um, cash flows and when they, when they have a bit of surplus cash, what we would like them to do or to invite them to do is to actually um, take the position on their own loan on the, on the platform, right? So they buy microloans from other lenders and receive the interest. So. What this does is it brings down their overall debt, but it also gives them a bit of a buffer because if they need that money, that money back, they can actually access it quite quite quickly by liquidating it. Right? But they can sell the microloans onto other lenders again. So this is a really nice. It, think of it like an overdraft facility. Right. Yeah. You've borrowed an amount of funds. Um, you can actually bring the uh, the facility down. And that, that helps the business because it gets them out of debt quicker. You know, they pay less interest, or the interest they pay is received by them. That can then, in turn, be used to buy more microloans. So we really want businesses to uh, thrive and succeed and be disciplined about how they use their finance so that they're only using it to grow and, and strengthen their, their model. Um, in so doing, we hope to create a better, more prosperous microeconomy for that business, wider economy for for that region uh, you know macro economy nationally uh, it's, a, it's a big vision um, we've got a long way to go but I think that by helping communicate that and encouraging other people to talk about it and be part of it then we can make a massive difference um, there's no reason why there should be this disconnect of using our funds and giving it to somebody else to manage on our behalf you know, the with a little bit of education and information, it, it's so much easier to make better informed decisions. And I'd encourage anyone who hasn't tried it yet to, to give it a go. Great, that's, that's great, Daniel. Right, just a couple more things to finish off. So, what uh, piece of advice would you give uh, other entrepreneurs that are looking to either create more meaning in their businesses uh, or in their yeah. work life in general? Um, so, having a having a sense of purpose and direction and alignment of healthy values is is really important in driving a strong culture. It's something that the workforce look for. It's something that's really important to appeal to millennials. You know, the the, the why in your business and the the purpose and vision for it is a key element to how um, to its direction and to its eventual outcome my it's entirely personal as well you know a lot of the the business leaders will be in business for a multitude of of reasons and so um, you know there's an organization called B Corp who you know I'd encourage everyone to to take a look at their um, help to assess the, a business in terms of its environmental impact, its social, its community contributions. And I think it's important that we all start to see our, our business entity in the context of um, you know, not just our supply chain and demand chain, but also in our wider community and our society and how we can better interconnect and support one another to essentially have a a sustainable business model to have an ethical model or at least an ethically minded model that appeals to uh, doing business in the right way um, and, and and having a good set of 
integral values that keep business um, surviving essentially i think I think a lot of people will want to do business and gravitate around leaders that are seen to be doing the right thing and that understand where uh, they want the planet to be you know in terms of being a, a better more prosperous place uh, be that in terms of helping a wider society be that in helping um, with humanitarian objectives environmental i think it's um, in a much more globalized society we we need to be thinking about how our actions impact on our um, outcomes and our, our judgments to to take us in a, a direction that that brings us closer to a world we want to live in oh, i couldn't couldn't agree more with you dan that that's uh, um certainly values are critical i think in in every business and and those businesses that don't who aren't explicit about their values I think they're really missing an opportunity to, to have meaning uh, in their businesses. So where, where can people find out more about uh, about yourself and Rebuilding Society? Online. Just search for the name, Rebuilding Society, and you'll see we come up. There's um, there's a lot of information on our website. I'd encourage anyone to, to go on, take a look. Um, but and there's a number of videos as well. The videos are very good. There's some testimonials. There's We, we try to get videos from our uh, customer base and our user base so that they're quite they're sincere and, and honest you know first person perspectives um but also feel free to call up you know we're a very friendly team we try to get back to people promptly if we're not able to take the call immediately and yeah just we're a friendly bunch so feel free to come along to one of our, of our events we're quite often uh available and accessible at one of the fintech north events if you haven't been to one of those and, and search for fintech north and join the mailing list um, we regularly get out and about to to meet people in the community and and you know, get get feedback on ideas and uh, help businesses to get the access to funds help lenders get the returns they're looking for so uh, we're, we're very accessible and i invite anyone to you know, find out more great well Thanks very much, Dan. Um, and thanks for sharing your story and the story of Rebuilding Society. And thanks for showing everyone how you run a business with meaning. My pleasure. Thanks, Sanjay.